We've been teaching a series for the last couple of weeks entitled Steps to Answered Prayer. Now, the Bible says that there are different kinds of prayer. Ephesians 6.18 says, praying always with all prayer. Most other translations uh, say something like all manner of prayer or all kinds of prayer. So we know that there are different kinds of prayer and different rules govern different types of prayer. The same rules that apply to one type of prayer or one style of praying doesn't necessarily apply to everything else. Probably the greatest example of that that we have is Jesus when he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane just before he was betrayed and taken captive by the Romans. Um, Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, Father, if, there, if it uh, be possible, let this cup pass from me. I believe that he's not shying away from the physical pain that was ahead of him, but he knew that he'd have to die spiritually. He'd have to be separated from God to pay the price for mankind. So he said in his prayer, he said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Now, it's great to pray that the will of God would be done in your life. But Jesus is not praying to receive something from God. He's praying about the thing that he's facing. And so he's dedicating himself to whatever God's will is in this situation, in which he already knew. He knew that he was going to have to go to the cross. The problem with that, or the problem that the church has created through a lack of understanding, lack of knowledge that there are different kinds of prayer or different ways to pray, is that they've, many people have incorporated that phrase that Jesus prayed, if it be your will, into every other kind of prayer that they pray. And that phrase destroys the prayer of faith, which is the way or the means that the Bible says God has given to us to receive from him. See, faith begins where the will of God is known. So anytime you're praying, if it be your will, you have no basis for faith whatsoever. So anything that anybody prays, Lord, if it be your will, has failed to receive anything and everything that they've asked for. That's a faith-destroying phrase. Faith begins where the will of God is known. Well, over in John chapter 15, verse 7, we see Jesus is talking about this kind of prayer. He said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. You shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Now, immediately people start saying things like, or questioning things like, well, what if you're praying out of the will of God? Well, if you're abiding in him and his words abiding in you, then your prayer is based on what his word says. And God's word is his will. God wouldn't promise you something that is not his will for you to have. Wouldn't that be silly? Wouldn't it be stupid for God to tell you that something belongs to you if he didn't want you to have it? Mark 11, beginning in verse 22, Jesus said, after he cursed the fig tree and the disciples brought it to his attention, Jesus said, have faith in God. It really, that uh, uh, a more accurate translation of verse 22 is have the faith of God. Well, what kind of faith does God have? He must have the God kind of faith. The same faith that created the worlds through words. So Jesus says, have the faith of God, or we sometimes say have the God kind of faith. And then he tells them how it works in verse 23. He said, for whosoever shall say, under this mountain be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Now notice he's not talking about prayer in verse 23. He's talking about the operation of faith, this principle called faith that works by speaking from your heart and saying with your mouth. Verse 24, however, he tells us about how faith can be used in prayer. Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire. Again, your desires are going to be based on a relationship with God and the presence of his word in you. So it's going to be word-based. The prayer of faith always has to be word-based because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. So he said, therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire. What things soever you desire. Believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. He didn't say you might have them. He didn't say the odds are in your favor, or this is the best chance you've got 
of receiving from God. He said, you shall have them. So I want you to notice in both John 15, 7 and Mark eleven twenty four, Jesus is giving us a guarantee for answered prayer. Now, the reason that uh, John 15, 7 and Matthew in uh, Mark eleven twenty four talks about your will or your desires is because your answered prayer depends more on you than it does on God. James talking about this prayer of faith <clears throat> said in, in chapter 5 of the letter that he wrote to us in verse 14 he said is any sick among you let them call for the elders of the church and let them the elders pray over them the sick anointing them with all in the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith not the elders not the oil but the prayer of faith shall save or heal the sick and the Lord shall raise them up then it goes on in verse 16 and it says, confess your faults one to another. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now what he's talking about is in context with the prayer of faith. So connecting to or concerning the prayer of faith, James says that a righteous man will always get results. The word effectual means effective. The word fervent means heartfelt. So literally he's saying that the effective, heartfelt, or spirit-led prayer will always be answered, will always get an answer from him. Always. You can bat a thousand when it comes to prayer. Now, so much of the church world, because they haven't understood the, the uh, effective rules. And if, uh, just as James says, if you can pray effectively, then you must be able to pray ineffectively. Otherwise, why say the effectual prayer? But if we learn the rules that govern prayer, if we learn the rules that govern the principles that govern the prayer of faith, we can get an answer from God every time. Every time. Which means we can always receive what we want from Him. Always. Now, we've talked about the first two steps. Step number one is decide what you want from God and find scriptures that promise you those things. Then get those promises firmly fixed in your heart and not just in your mind. You do that through meditating in the word. You remember in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8, God told Joshua, this book of the laws, which is all the word of God they had at that time, <clears throat> He said, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. Well, the only way something can't depart out of your mouth is if you keep saying it. Because if you just say it once, it's gone. But if you say it over and over and over again, then that's not departing from your mouth. So he said, this book of the law, the word of God, shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein. Notice, meditating has something to do with saying. But thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein, then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. One of the meanings of the word meditate, if you look it up in the, in the Hebrew, one of the meanings of the word meditate means to mutter or to say to yourself over and over and over again. Now, God told Joshua to do that day and night. He told him the rest of his time was his, but day and night belonged to meditating in the word. Now, he's obviously not talking about speaking the word 24 hours a day, Nobody can do that. We have other things going on in our lives. But he is telling us the principle of how we can meditate and speak the word of God to ourselves while we're doing other things. While we're doing other things. I saw a, um, well, a little caption, picture in a caption type, type thing not too long ago. And it says, the difference between religion and Christianity is that a religious guy sits in church and thinks about fishing. <laughs> the Christian goes to the lake and fishes and thinks about God. Isn't that good? Well, that's what he's talking about. That's the kind of relationship God wants with each and every one of us so that we are speaking his word to ourselves consistently, if not constantly. So, step number one, is decide what you want from God and find the scriptures that promise you those things because faith is based on a knowledge of his word. So if you find the scriptures that promise you those things, you can have faith 
absolute faith to know that you'll receive them if you follow the other rules. Step number two then becomes very simple. Ask God for what you want. And here's the hard part. Believe that you receive them when you pray. Notice Mark eleven twenty four 24 again. Therefore I say unto you what things soever you desire when you pray. Believe that you receive them and you shall have them. When you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. So when do you have the things that you want? After you believe you receive them. When do you believe that you receive the things that you want? Before you have them. Now a lot of people are trying to have them and then believe. We've laid hands on a lot of people over the years to receive their healing. And after hands were laid on them, they were asked the question, well, did, it, did you get it? And they checked their bodies and say, no, no, I thought I was going to be healed, but I can't see any difference in my body. Well, whether they know that or not, they're violating the principle of faith and ensuring that they won't receive. They're looking to feel a difference or see a difference in their body before they start believing. But folks, if you're going to do that, you might as well settle into the reality that you're not going to receive anything from God past salvation because faith doesn't work that way. Faith works by believing you receive when you still face the symptoms, when the circumstances still look the same. But Jesus said if you'd believe you received before you had them, before you see any difference, you would see a difference. Maybe not instantly. Maybe not in a day or two, but you will see the difference. You shall have them. So that brings us to step number three. We found the word that promises us what we want. We've prayed the prayer of faith and believed that we received before we had it or see any difference in any physical change. Step number three is to keep your heart from doubt. Keep your heart from doubt. Now, folks, remember that the Bible talks about the fight of faith. First Timothy chapter six and verse 12 says, Paul's writing to Timothy, who's pastoring the church at Ephesus at that, at that time, according to church history. And he writes to Timothy, his son in the faith, who if anybody is going to know about Paul's doctrine, if anybody is going to understand about how faith works, it's going to be Timothy. He learned it firsthand from Paul's revelation, traveled with him for many years. So he should know these things. And I'm sure that he does. I don't think that Paul is writing to him, directing him in something he doesn't know. He's just reminding him of things that he does know. But he said in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12, he said, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Now, he can't be talking about being saved. Eternal life there can't mean salvation because we know he's already saved. He's filled with the Spirit. He's been installed as the pastor of the church at Ephesus. So if he's not talking about getting saved, what's he talking about? He's saying fighting the good fight of faith. And I consider the good fight of faith good because we win. I don't care how close we come. It's not a good fight unless we win. So when he tells him to fight the good fight of faith, which, by the way, is the only fight the Bible tells the Christian he's in. He's not in a fight against other religions. He's not in a fight against government. He's in a fight against faith, the fight of faith. He's in a fight against the devil who wants to rob him of the things that he wants and needs from God. So he said fighting the good fight of faith is the means or the way that we lay hold on the eternal life, meaning all the things that Jesus died for us to have. All those things that the Bible instructs us belongs to us because of the finished work of Jesus. But as the pastor of the, the biggest and the most famous church in the world at that time, he tells Timothy that being a pastor is not going to be enough to ensure his prayer success or that he walks in all the things that God has for us. Timothy would have been a celebrity because of the position that he's in. And Paul says that's not going to be enough either. There's only one thing that's going to ensure that you have everything that God provided for you through the finished work of Jesus. And that's fighting effectively and winning the good fight of faith. Amen? So this is how you lay hold on it. 
You lay hold on it through faith. But we're right there in Mark chapter 11. I left you there, I believe. Notice we talked about verse 24 as being the the definition of the prayer of faith. But verse 23, as we mentioned before, shows us the principles that govern the faith that you base your prayer on in verse 24. And notice what he said. He said, whosoever shall say. Faith has to do with speaking then, doesn't it? Whosoever shall say unto this mountain. Not say to God about the mountain. But whosoever shall say unto this mountain. Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. Notice the next phrase. And shall not doubt in his heart. And shall not doubt in his heart. Notice that's the only restriction that Jesus places on the operation of faith in verse 23 of Mark chapter 11. And shall not doubt in his heart. So you're going to have to be aware. We should all be aware that the devil is going to try to fight us to keep us from getting the answers or receiving the things that we've asked God for. You remember in the Old Testament, in the story of Daniel, it says that Daniel was reading Jeremiah's prophecy And he came to the understanding that it was time, or very soon approaching the time, that God said he would deliver Israel from Babylonian rule. And so it tells us that Daniel went on a three-week fast, seeking God for the answer. See, it wasn't enough for him just to know that it was time for God to deliver them. He's going to find out what needs to be done and how the people of Israel need to operate to take hold of the promised deliverance. Now, they had a promise. Jeremiah said that they'd be in bondage for 70 years, and they were approaching the end of those 70 years. And Daniel knew that that was the promise of God, but it wasn't just enough to know it. He was going to find out what do we do? How do we operate? How do we cooperate effectively with God so that that deliverance can take place and occur? Well, he went to praying, and it says after those 21 days, the angel Michael appears. No, that's not right. Michael was the one that was doing the fighting. An angel appears. Forgot the angel's name, sorry. But an angel appears and says that God sent the answer. He was the answer. The angel was the messenger. That God sent the answer the first day that Daniel started praying. Well, that was 21 days before. Folks, heaven must be a long way off if it takes 21 days for an angel to get here. But that's not what he said. He said, I was sent for your words. I was sent. The angel was sent as an answer to his prayer on day one. But he said the devil withstood him. The prince of the kingdom of Persia. He's talking about a spiritual being. The Bible indicates to us that natural governments, human governments, have spiritual forces behind them, evil forces behind them. And that evil force of the enemy withstood the angel for 21 days. And apparently would have withstood him a lot longer, but the angel said, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. And so he got through. Now, folks, the point is very simply this. If that's a pattern or a principle of the way the devil operates, then after our prayer is prayed, after our prayer based on the word, the prayer of faith based on the word is prayed, God dispatches the answers almost instantly because that's the way he wants it to be. But that does not mean that the devil is not going to try to hinder it from coming. That does not mean that you're always going to be able to take hold of everything instantly. There are going to be things that we're going to have to stand in faith against. There are scriptures we're going to have to hold fast our profession of faith to or toward for the answers to reach us. A lot of people pray, pray effectively, and then after a few days give up saying, well, God must not have heard them when the the messenger or the answer is on the way. That's why we can't ever give up. You might be just one day away from your answer. You can't ever give up. But knowing that, understanding that principle is very important for us to hold fast to our faith 
keep saying the same things, keep confessing the word, keep believing that God has heard and answered prayer. Turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, notice beginning in verse 10. Paul is coming to an end of the letter that he's writing. I believe he saved the most important things for the end. And he starts here in verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 6. He said, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Notice he didn't say a word about being strong in yourself. He said, be strong in the Lord. In other words, he's saying, be strong in your beliefs and in your knowledge of who God is as revealed through his word. That's where our strength needs to be. Our strength needs to be centered in the fact that God hears and answers prayer. Do you know, folks, it's not even important for you to believe in prayer? Every heathen religion believes in prayer. Muslims pray five or six times a day, don't they? Believing in prayer is not the issue. I believe in the God that answers prayer. So Paul says, finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. How do you do that? He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The word wiles means treachery. It means deceit or deceitfulness. But it comes from a root word that means traveling over. That means traveling over. Well, that doesn't seem to make any sense. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the traveling over of the devil. What does that mean? Well, it means deceitfulness. It means lies. It means treachery. Is the only road the devil travels. See, so often people get the idea that the devil is so strong He's so powerful. I don't have a chance against him because of all the times I've failed before. That's proof that he's stronger than I am or stronger than my ability to receive from God or whatever. But when you understand that there's only one means of attack that the devil has, that it enables you, it strengthens you to be able to stand against that one area. You don't have to defeat the devil in 55 different ways. But you do have to defeat him in one. You do have to defeat him in one. Notice he goes on. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the traveling over of the devil. In other words, the way that the devil attacks. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. We are in a fight. But against principalities, against powers. Against the rulers of the darkness of this world. Against spiritual wickedness in high or heavenly places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand therefore. So what is he saying? He's saying the way to defeat the devil's one means of attack is to equip yourself to stand and stand still. Stand firm. Stand fixed. Turn with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Beginning in verse 3, Paul said, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now, folks, when you talk about guarding yourself or preparing yourself for the fight of faith, When we talk about keeping our heart from doubt, we need to define our terms so we know how to operate effectively. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 34, he said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus said, a man out of the good treasure or a good deposit of his heart brings forth or speaks good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure or deposit of his heart speaks forth evil things. So the Bible tells us that our words reveal our heart. Our words reveal what we've put in our spirit. So if we're going to keep our heart from doubt, that means we've got to guard our tongue. We've got to be careful about the things that we say. Well, how does the devil travel? 
What's the one road or the one means of attack that he uses? He uses deceit. If he can't deceive you, he can't defeat you. The Bible says, <clears throat> Peter said it this way. He said, your adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Notice it doesn't say he is a lion. He says he's like one. But it defines how he's like. A lion. And that is the roar. Not the teeth. Not the fangs. Not the sharp claws. See, the devil wants to make you think he's some giant lion with blood dripping off his clothes or off his claws from everybody he's devoured. But the reality is, the devil's like a little cat with a loudspeaker and a microphone in front of it. He's just the noise. He's not the power and the strength of a lion. He's just the noise of one. And notice that he looks about, walks about seeking whom he may devour. He's got to have your permission if he's going to devour you. Because you're the one with authority, not him. Now, how is he going to get anybody, you, me, or anybody else, how is he going to get anybody to give him permission to devour them? The only way he's got is to trick you, to trick you into it. But here's what the devil knows that most Christians don't. He knows that the things that you think, if you think on them long enough, will wind up coming out of your mouth. He knows that the things that you think will be the things that you act on. So if he can get you distracted from the promise that you based your prayer on, if he can get you distracted from the truth of the word that you found to cover your case before you ever prayed, that you made a part of your heart to prepare for when he comes, if he can get you to turn your attention away from those things and look at the circumstances, look at how you feel, or look at the things around you, or look at your bank book balance, or whatever the case is. If he can get you looking at natural things, earthly things, physical things, instead of the truth of the word of God, he knows that sooner or later you'll talk it. And when that takes place, he has tricked you into using your authority against yourself, against your best interest. So you're going to have to guard your mind from every evil thought. Every evil thought. When doubts persist, and they will, you're going to have to be prepared for, with an answer. You remember when Jesus was tempted of the devil in Matthew chapter 4. He's been fasting for 40 days, and the devil came at his weakest point. The Bible says Jesus was hungry. So the devil came at his weakest point and attempted to, to get Jesus to use his authority against his own best interest, against the purpose that God sent him to the earth for. And every time the devil brought something that would plant a thought in his mind for something that he could have or would want to get, every time Jesus countered the words that the devil spoke that brought the wrong pictures to his mind, he countered them with the saying, it is written. In other words, Jesus took his attention back to the word. He refused to be distracted from the truth of the word, which includes everything the Bible says God will do for us. So he did the same thing that we're supposed to do. We're supposed to follow his example. We're supposed to make sure that every thought affirms that we have what we prayed for. Still talking about the prayer of faith and receiving by faith from God. Let every thought affirm that you have what you asked for and comes in line with what the Bible says is yours. Now, let's look again at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I think I left you there. Notice what it says. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. So he's going to tell us about what our fight, our spiritual fight, or the fight of faith is all about. Notice he says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now, the strongholds are the, uh, are the places in our lives that the devil has set up camp. Strongholds are the places that he's defending or attempting to defend against the word of God so that we walk around without what Jesus paid for. 
Well, where are those strongholds? Some years ago, there was a group of people, wasn't just one person, it was a bunch of people, that got on this kick about pulling down strongholds over cities. And said that they'd go into the cities and have these big meetings, convention center type things, and get everybody to pray against the spirit of murder in one case. I think that was what they prayed for in L.A. Or against this bad thing that was happening or that bad thing that was happening. But if you'll notice, the statistics concerning murder and the other things in other cities didn't change after they prayed. There was a lot of hype. A lot of preaching, a lot of declarations about how the devil's power was broken. But the murder rate didn't go down. I'm sure a lot of Christians felt good about what they did or at least what they tried to do. But it didn't change the, st the statistics. Why is that? Because the devil doesn't have strongholds over cities. He has strongholds in the minds of people that live in cities. Notice how you pull down the strongholds. Not by praying some special prayer. You pull down the strongholds by casting down imaginations. The word imagination is the word reasonings. He's talking about your thought life. He's talking about your thought life. Folks, the devil doesn't have access to your spirit. God lives there. He does not share space with the devil. They do not cohabit the same dwelling place. The devil's not in your spirit. You've been made a new creature, a new creation, a new species of being in Christ Jesus. And the devil is not in your spirit. Well, if he's not in our spirits, then how can he gain access to our words? Because your words come out of the abundance of your heart or your spirit. So how does the devil gain access to our words? Through our minds. If he can get you through wrong thinking about yourself or wrong thinking about God, or wrong thinking about his word. And that's what the devil always tries to do. The devil always tries to question God's integrity or the truth of his word. He tries to do that through time and circumstances. He works overtime trying to hinder your prayer from being answered. And just as in Daniel's case that we talked about when he went on that 21-day fast, I'm sure during those 21 days somewhere along the way, I would guess every day, several times every day, but somewhere during that period of time, the devil's got to be telling Daniel, God's not going to answer you on this one. If he's going to answer you, you'd have the answer already. That's what he tells us about what we believe for, isn't it? If your healing was coming, it would have come already. If your finances were going to change, then they would have already changed. When he's the very one that's trying to hold things up and creating the delay in the meantime, he tells you, that he doesn't have anything to do with this, that God just hasn't heard and honored your prayer, which means his word's a lie, which means he's unfaithful. And of course, none of that is true. The devil is trying to hinder you and trying to get in your thought life because what you think on long enough will come out of your mouth. And once it comes out of your mouth, you have just doubted from your heart. Now, you need to know this. Thoughts that are not acted on die unborn. Thoughts that are not spoken die unborn. So it's not a matter of not doubting in your mind. If the requirement was never doubt in your mind, nobody would ever receive anything. Because even the greatest saint, every one of the greatest saints of God, have had doubts in their mind or thoughts of doubt come to them that their heart resents. The question is, what are you going to do when the thoughts come? The Bible says to cast down imaginations. Folks, please understand this. This is so important. The biggest stronghold, the biggest place that the devil's got in your life is in your mind. But the Bible tells us what to think on. The Bible tells us to bring those thoughts of doubt into captivity, to cast down the imaginations and bring into obedience every thought bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. In other words, the Bible's telling you to think the word instead of what you see and feel. 
Never permit a mental picture of failure to be in your mind. Never permit. Now, you can't stop the thought from coming. You can't stop the picture from entering your mind, but you can stop whether or not, or you can control whether or not you think on it. Remember in the Old Testament where the 12 spies went into Israel, Numbers chapter 13? They went in and they spied out the land. The Bible tells us that they brought back the fruit of the land. They found one cluster of grapes that was so big they had to carry it between two people. They brought pomegranates and other fruits back that was bigger and more beautiful than anything they'd ever seen before. In other words, it confirmed what God said about the land, the promised land, that it flowed with milk and honey. So they said, 10 of the 12 said, this is the fruit of the land. It's just like God said. But we saw cities with big walls around them. We saw armies that are stronger than us. And so 10 of the 12 said, we can't take the land. Now, do you remember what the Bible says about that? The Bible says they brought up an evil report. An evil report. An evil report. Now, what was the evil that they reported? To tell about the cluster of grapes and the fruit of the land and the land flowing to milk and honey, that's not evil. See, a lot of times, most of the time perhaps, when we think about evil, we're thinking of things that are immoral. We know that lying and cheating and stealing are evil. And many people, maybe not enough people, but many people would never entertain those thoughts. But the Bible says they brought up an evil report of doubt. Their evil report was to say, which reveals what was in their heart. Words always show what's in your heart. Their evil report was to say, we can't do what God said we can do. Their evil report was to say, we can't have what God said is ours. Now tell me what the difference is in that and the devil telling you you can't be healed. Tell me the difference in what the... Ten spies heard and did, and the devil telling you that God won't meet your needs. What's the difference? There is none. You know why there is none? Because there's only one road the devil travels. It's always the same thing. No matter who it is or what the circumstances are that surround it, it's always the same thing. The devil will always try to make you doubt God. But instead, we are supposed to believe God and not the devil, believe the truth and not a lie. So the only way for us to pull down those strongholds, remove those strongholds that the enemy has built up in our minds, that wrong thinking about God, is to replace it with the truth of the word. To replace it with the truth of the word. How do we do that? We have to bring every thought into captivity. We have to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That means we're going to have to examine every thought in light of what the Word of God says is ours. We're going to have to believe the truth and not a lie. That's why we say never permit a mental picture or image to be a failure to be in your mind. You're going to have to learn to think in line with what the word says. Look with me over to Philippians chapter 4. Notice verse 6. It says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Well, that would include the prayer of faith. It wouldn't exclude other prayers too along the way. But it would certainly include the prayer of faith, the prayer of receiving. So be careful for nothing. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. Don't have any anxiety about anything. And there's nothing to be anxious or have any anxiety about if you believe that God hears and answers prayer. Because all you got to do, 1 John chapter 5, John said this is the confidence we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, well his will is his word the word that we base our prayer of faith on. He said, if we ask anything according to his will or his word, then he hears us. And if we know he hears us, then we know that we have the petitions or the requests that we made from God. He's talking about the prayer of faith. So realize all we have to do is get God to hear us, and we have the answer. 
Now, wouldn't it be wonderful if the answer was instantly materialized or instantly became visible in the physical realm? Wouldn't it be wonderful if as soon as God heard you, you had in the physical realm whatever you asked for? The fight of faith would be instantaneous, which means there wouldn't be one. Your stand of faith would be the few seconds that something would take to appear. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I'd just like to camp there and think about that for a little bit. (laughs) But that's not the way it works. Now we can whine and moan and complain because that's not the way it works. Or we can understand and accept that there is a different method and a different manner that these things operate by and cooperate with God. Now I know that may seem like a silly comparison But folks, there are so many people that are trying to get God to violate his word to answer their prayers. For example, we've talked about healing a little bit. Let's use that as another example. The Bible says in Psalm 107 verse 20, it says that God sent his word and healed us. But how many people are believing God to heal them or asking God to heal them or begging God to heal them or looking for God to heal them some other way besides his word? I've talked to people and tried to explain the principles of faith. There was a young girl that came, um, she came to the service, healing school service, Sunday night service. It's been some months ago now, maybe eight months ago, something like that. She came in. She got here about five minutes before I closed the service. And she came in and she made an excuse that, oh, I didn't know your service started when it did. I want you to pray for me. Well, I know she hadn't heard enough of the word. So unless she came With the word already, she didn't get anything from the service. So I asked her what it was about. She told me what the sickness was, what the condition was. And I said, well, what are you believing for? She said, well, I heard you laid hands on the sick for people to be healed. I said, well, that's true, but that's not what I asked you. What are you believing for? Well, I just want you to pray for me. I knew it right off. I mean, anybody could have told that. I knew right away she didn't know one thing about what the word said. She had heard somebody tell her about healing school. And she got in her mind how things were going to work. And so she came to have me lay hands on her. I tried to tell her a little bit about faith. Finally, after, and it wasn't but just maybe a minute or two, tried to tell her what the word said, tried to spark some level of faith in her, give her something to believe in at least. And after just a couple of minutes, she said, I'm not really interested in that. I just want you to pray. What do you do? Now, that doesn't happen to me very often, but I'm sure God gets that a lot. (laughs) I meant that seriously. I'm sure he gets that kind of stuff a lot. Where people are looking for God to do something outside of or apart from his word which the Bible says is the way that God works. Now, again, we can be upset about that. In her case, she got very offended when I said I wasn't going to pray for her. She says, you're not going to pray? I said, no, sorry. Here's why. Tried to explain why. She didn't care about that. She turned around in a huff, had a couple of things to say about me and the church, and that was it. Now, I don't care about that. I don't care that she cussed me out. Doesn't matter to me. It'd been a while, but, you know. <laughs> it's happened enough before that I remember it well. <laughs> but I thought, how sad. For a child of God, one of God's children, to refuse God's method of bringing her what she wants and needs in her life. I wish her case was the exception, but I doubt if it is. God can't violate his word no matter what the reason that we think is worthwhile for him to do so. No matter what. Now, she had the wrong thought about what healing would be and how healing would come. And the devil had created a stronghold in her. I don't know where, how or how long or what the the background was on why she thought 
that God would do something different and special for her. Maybe she heard somebody's story about God just in his mercy bringing healing to them when they didn't believe anything. And that has happened. That has occurred. But whatever the reason, whatever her justification or, or foundation was, she thought the wrong thing about God and his word. And that thought, that wrong thought, robbed her of what Jesus paid for. Now, God wants her healed just as much as he wants me healed or you healed. Jesus paid the same price for everybody. But God was unable to bring to her what Jesus had already paid for because of the wrong thought that she had. Jesus said in Mark chapter 7, I think it's verse 13, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, and he said that they had made the word of God of none effect. Now, the word none effect or the phrase none effect literally means without power. They had robbed the word of God of any power in their lives. Now, the word of God is the thing that created the universe. It's the most powerful thing in the universe. It is greater than any other power that will ever be or ever has been. It's the power that created everything that we see and know in this physical realm. And Jesus said that the Pharisees had made the word of God of none effect by their tradition. Now, if you look up that word tradition, it literally means preconceived ideas. Wrong thoughts. They thought wrong, so they believed wrong. Just like this young lady that came to healing school. She thought wrong, so she believed wrong. And she was speaking wrong in connection with or compared to what it would take for her to receive. Folks, that's the devil's road. That's how he operates with all of us. If he can't deceive us, he can't stop us. Or let's put it on the positive side. If we focus on the word and live our lives based on the word, think in line with what the word says, act in line with what the word says, say what the word says, the devil can't rob you from anything that Jesus paid for. He just can't do it. Let me continue reading here in Philippians chapter 4. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Woo-hoo. That's what I want. I want the peace of God that keeps me in every situation no matter what. I want to be carefree so that I don't have to worry about anything. All I have to do is know that when I pray, God hears and answers my prayer and then just live my life floating around in flowery beds of ease, as Brother Hagin used to say. But most people stop reading with verse 7. If you want verse 7, the peace of God that keeps your heart and mind, you're going to have to act on and do what verse 8 says. Finally, brethren... Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think. Everybody say think. think. I believe that the modern day church would be blessed and benefited if every Christian would just look at themselves in the mirror and say think. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Now, folks, I hope you've never fallen into this category, but there are a lot of people that say that they can't help what they think. And that's a lie. They may not want to try to control their thinking. But everybody can. If God told us to think on the things that have all these characteristics, and I have no doubt whatsoever that Paul has in mind, think on the Word. Because there's not many things outside of the Word of God that are going to meet all those criteria. See, it's not just a matter of something is true. A lot of people think they're not gossiping because they're telling the truth about what happened. 
but they're violating what the Bible tells us to do because it's not lovely or of good report. So if you look at these characteristics, there are not many things outside of God's word that's going to fit the bill. But folks, you need to understand, you can think faith thoughts just as easily as you can think thoughts of doubt. We talked about the story of the, 10, uh, of the 12 spies that uh, spied out the promised land in Numbers chapter 13. Ten of them brought back an evil report. Ten of them simply said, we can't take what God said we could have. And God considered that evil. So if you're going to keep your heart from doubt, that means you're going to have to keep your heart from evil. The evil of believing the devil's lie. It's evil to believe the devil's lie when he says you can't have what God made for you. The Bible calls that evil. As I said before, so many times people think of immoral things and dishonest things as evil, and they are. But you're going to be tempted to think the evil thoughts of doubt more often than the other things. So 10 of the 12 spies said, we can't do it. They brought up an evil report. But Caleb and Joshua were the other two. They saw the same things that the 10 saw. They experienced exactly the same circumstances. They saw the same walls with cities around them, fortified cities. They saw the same armies of the enemies of Israel and the strength of those armies. They saw exactly the same thing. But both Caleb and Joshua said, hey, wait, calm down. We can do this. Well, why did they think that they could when the others didn't? Why did the ten think that they were unable and Caleb and Joshua said, we can do it? Because they're looking at what God said and not just the circumstance. They're not walking by sight. They're walking by faith in what God said. But the ten, that stirred them up even more. The ten said, we are not able to go up and take this land. Because of the strength of the inhabitants thereof, we are in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so are we in their sight. Now notice what the circumstances had done to them. The circumstances had taken them from the place of knowing and realizing that they were the victorious people of God that had defeated, or we should, I guess we should say God had defeated for them, the strongest and most powerful army on the face of the earth, which was Pharaoh's army. Pharaoh was the world superpower, Egypt was the world superpower. And God destroyed Pharaoh's army, and they never had to throw a rock. Israel didn't have to throw one spear. They didn't have to Use one swipe of the sword. Well, see, that meant something to Caleb and Joshua. That meant that they had a God that would honor his word and do what he said. So when they see the inhabitants of the promised land, they said, this is no big deal. They're nothing against Pharaoh, so they're, they're even less than nothing against God. So what are they doing? They're attempting, Caleb and Joshua are attempting to take possession of the promised land first through their words. But the people believe the majority report. And the children of Israel brought up an evil report or sided in with the evil report of the ten spies. And what did God say? God said, Moses, tell them, as truly as I live, this is an eternal principle. It is as the oracle of God an unchanging eternal principle, I will deal with them according to the words that they've spoken in my ear. In other words, every person there is going to get exactly what they said. And everybody did. The ten spies said it would have been better for us to die in the wilderness right here and right now, and they did. They were dead before morning. The children of Israel said it would have been better for us to die in the wilderness, and they did. Over the next 40 years, they all died out. Caleb and Joshua were the only ones in the bunch that said we can do it. And 40 years later, they did. Now, that brings us to another important point. We're guarding against every evil thought, every thought of doubt that comes against your mind. But you need to know that what thoughts are governed by. Thoughts are governed by associations, observations, and teachings. You ever been walking in the mall and walk by Mrs. Fields Cookie or one of those places, one of those bakery places, 
It may have been the last thing on your mind, but all of a sudden you're thinking cookie. <laughs> or we walk by one of these cupcake places that have the beautiful displays. And every one of them looks good. And the thought that comes to our mind is we need to try them all. <laughs> See which one is best. In the same way, the things that we observe will affect our thoughts. The people we surround ourselves with will affect what we think and what we believe. The things that we hear teach, taught, the teaching that we hear will affect what we believe. It's always amazed me why somebody would come, or how, how it is or why it is, that somebody would come to our church to be prayed for for healing or to be filled with the Holy Ghost or whatever the case was and then go right back to the church that told them that stuff was of the devil. And almost without exception, over a period of time, they'll either lose what they had or stop using it. Folks, I realize we don't have the church that's going to suit everybody. I realize that not everybody is going to fit with me. I read somewhere that my personality type is 2% of the population. You know what that means, don't you? That means 98% of America is not going to get me. I realize that. I'm okay with that. I don't care. That's another part of my 2% personality. I don't care. But the things that you're taught, because faith comes by hearing, the things that you're taught, the things that you allow yourself to be taught will impact your life. Caleb and Joshua were robbed of living in the promised land for 40 years because of the people they had to associate with. Now, theirs is certainly a different situation. We're not forced into it like they were. But the principle is true. The principles are true. Guard against every evil that comes to the mind. Let every thought and desire affirm that you have what you've asked God for. Never permit a mental picture of failure to be in your mind. If doubts persist, and they will, rebuke them. You're going to have to destroy every image, every vision, every suggestion, every feeling, or every thought that does not contribute to what you believe. Now, whether you know it or not, folks, this is the dividing line between winning and losing. This determines, this point determines whether or not you will win the good fight of faith or whether your, good, your fight of faith turns out to be a good fight or a failure. Destroy every thought, every image, every feeling, every suggestion, every dream that does not line up with the Word of God says is yours. And remember, you found those scriptures before you decided what you wanted from God, before you ever prayed. You're going to have to meditate constantly on the scriptures that promised you what you've asked God for. Let me close with this. Proverbs chapter 4, beginning in verse 20. It says, my son, attend unto my words. To attend unto the word of God means to put it first place. That means to make a decision. That you're going to go with the word of God no matter what. The devil will challenge that decision. He'll see if you mean it. Either through circumstances he tries to bring up against you. Or persecution. People that turn away from you because of your position on, uh, concerning the word or whatever. My son, attend to my words. Put them first place in your life. Incline your ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart, for they are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. Notice the things that it's talking about. It's talking about keeping the word of God in your heart. Well, that'd be the same thing as saying keeping your heart from doubt, wouldn't it? Since faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. If you keep the word of God in the midst of your heart, that means you're speaking it consistently or constantly. But one of the other characteristics, one of the other attributes that was just mentioned there 
It says, let them not depart from before your eyes. Let them not depart from before your eyes. Let's say it this way. See yourself with the answer that the word of God says is yours. See yourself. That's what Caleb and Joshua did. Caleb and Joshua saw themselves taking the promised land. They weren't focused on the the strength of the enemy armies. They weren't focused on the height of the wall around Jericho. They saw it. They acknowledged it. They understood it wasn't going to be a cakewalk. But they still saw themselves as possessors of the promised land. Well, if they can do that, so can you and I. See yourself with the answer. If you're meditating on the word of God consistently, if you're speaking the truth of the word that you based your prayer on, whether it's healing or finances or whatever else it is, if you're saying what the word of God says is yours, with any consistency whatsoever, you're going to have to see yourself with the answer. You'd have to see yourself as healed. You'd have to see yourself with your answers or your needs met. You'd have to see yourself with what the Word of God says is yours. That's the way God made us. God made us to think in pictures. When the devil brings thoughts of failure, he wants to influence you to see yourself as a failure. He doesn't have the strength or the power to force it. He can't decide what you think on or what you see. But he can influence your seeing. He can influence what you think. And so he wants to bring thoughts of doubt or thoughts of failure to each and every one of us. Often enough, consistently enough, put the pressure on us enough to where he hopes we'll start seeing ourselves the way that he's painted the picture of us being. And then we'll relinquish our authority by speaking words of doubt. But on the other hand, if we're saying what the word of God says, even when the devil says that we'll not make it, If we remind ourselves and do like Jesus did, answer the temptation with what the Word of God says. What is Jesus doing? Jesus is keeping the picture of success in his mind. He's keeping the picture of success in what God has sent him to the earth to do. He's refusing to allow the devil to influence or alter what he thinks or what he sees in his imagination. In any way whatsoever. Well the Bible tells us to do the same thing. Which means we can. See if God's told us to control our thoughts. And bring every thought into the captivity. To the obedience of Christ. If he's told us to do something that we can't do. Then we have a right to challenge his justice. But the fact that God is just. Him telling us what to think. And how to see ourselves. Is proof positive that we can do it. He wouldn't tell us to do something we couldn't do. So see yourself with the answer. See yourself with the answer. Refuse to allow any thought, any image, any suggestion of failure regarding your prayer of faith to remain in your mind. Refuse. In so doing, you are keeping your heart from doubt. You're staying in faith. You're continuing and holding fast the profession of your faith. And your answer is guaranteed. Jesus said so time after time after time. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. We didn't read John 15, 8, but it goes on to say, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. God wants you to win. That's why he's told us how. Wouldn't it be silly for him to tell us how to win if he didn't want us to win? But he has revealed to us the answers. The answer to victory. The way to victory. The means of victory. Which is always his word. Jesus said, what things soever you desire when you pray. Believe that you receive them. Keep your heart from doubt. Stay in faith. And you shall have them. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this wonderful thing called faith. It's a privilege for us, Father, to live based upon your word. It's a privilege for us to know that when we are putting your word in practice, taking hold 
of those things that Jesus has purchased for us. You're glorified in that, Father. You want our prayer life to be 100% successful. You want our prayer life to be absolutely effective. And that's why you told us how to do it. We thank you, Father, that your word is true. Heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will never fail. So we say that your word will never fail us. We say that your word comes to pass in every area that we confess it, in every area that we take hold of it by faith. Thank you, Father, that according to your word, Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses, and with his stripes we were healed. According to your word, as we give, it's given unto us. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, do men give unto our bosom. According to your word, Father, you were wounded. Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. So we declare, Father, that we can do. We are able to take hold of everything that Jesus purchased for us. We can win, no matter the strength of our enemies, because you're on our side. We say, that the promises of God's word are ours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, let's all stand.